What is up, everybody? It is Sophia Bodwin. I am a talent recruiter here at Breakline Education. And welcome back to the Breakline Arena. We're pumped that you're here joining us for a conversation with Matthew Prince. So Matthew Prince, he is the CEO of Cloudflare. And a big part of the conversation that you're about to hear is how most of us have probably never heard of Cloudflare, and yet we use it every single day. So Matthew Prince, Kenny, how was this conversation like for you? I would love you to sort of kick us off with your general impressions, things that you're excited for the lovely listeners of the arena to take away. Thank you so much for that, Sophia. And I agree 100%. I feel like for our listeners who have not heard of Cloudflare, um, it is absolutely one of the most influential companies that you may not have heard of. And I think what's so cool about this conversation is as much as we use technology these days, there are a lot of things that we have come to take for granted. And I think as a user of the technology, sometimes we forget that, you know, there are bad actors on the internet who are trying to wreak havoc on our daily lives that are trying to really just Um, alter the ease in which we're able to leverage this great technology. 16% of the internet uses Cloudflare's network. I mean, just think about that for a second. 16%, that is huge. They're projecting that number to grow. So the amount of influence that um, Cloudflare has just to protect our experience as we're leveraging this great technology is just mind-boggling. So very excited for this conversation and uh, we'll kick it back over to you for some more thoughts. Yes, no, I absolutely couldn't agree more. And one of the things that I found most striking, of course, was that Matthew Prince is a normal guy who lives a normal life. He owns a 15 year old ski jacket that he wears every day as he tries to build community, build friendships on the ski mountain. He also runs one of the biggest and most profitable tech companies on the planet. And, you know, he jokes about that this is the best way to be famous. So we could not have enjoyed our conversation and our time more with Matthew Prince in the arena. Um, Very excited to hear how you guys enjoy this conversation. You know what I think we should do, Kenny, is I think we should meet our friends in the arena. Should we dive right in? Let's dive right in. I love seeing you all here. Welcome. This is so much fun to have our community together again. And I'm delighted to introduce all of you to Matthew Prince. Um, I want to start out with a little bit of a story about Matthew. Many of you know that um, Michael and I drove out to Park City um, in September. Imagine us driving 12 hours from the Bay Area with our four kids and our dog. And we got to Park City just like sweaty and dusty. And arrived to find a bottle of wine and a very sweet note that someone had left for us in our kitchen. Turned out to be our neighbors, Matthew and his wife, Tatiana Prince, who have become um, really wonderful friends to us. So um, it's so much fun to be able to interview Matthew and follow his career, but also as a friend um, to be able to welcome him to our community. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for, thanks for having me and thanks for being a great neighbor. So I actually want to talk about Park City. I had never been to Park City before we drove out here a couple of months ago and our family has 
absolutely fallen in love with it. You grew up in Park City and, um, and you continue to live here with Tatiana. Um, you've also lived in DC and Boston and Chicago and the Bay Area. Um, will you talk to us about what drew you back here? I mean, we're living in this moment where there's been an exodus, a little bit of an exodus, particularly within the tech sector from the Bay Area, but I'm hearing about Austin. I'm hearing about Miami. I'm hearing about Denver. I'm not hearing as much about Park City. So I'd love your thoughts on why it's, what, what drew you back? Well, so, you know, I, I, I did grow up here and I, and, you know, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty small town. Um, it's, it's really a resort community uh, with uh, two major ski resorts. Uh, that are here, and I and I grew up. I, I've been skiing since I was um, since I was two years old. So um, was you know really really uh, love that. My wife enjoys it uh, as well, and so that's that's been something that we've we've shared together. And you know my my family has had places here, and a, a few years back, uh, my wife and I decided to uh, to buy to buy a place um, here, and and we would we were just finding ourselves spending more and more time uh, in in town uh, over the years and. And so then uh, in January of 2020, um, you know, we were out here and, and we were like, gosh, you know, it's, it's just that this is a super comfortable and, and lovely place to, to be, but maybe let's spend the next, uh, let's spend at least the next year um, here. What, um, what, I, what, what we didn't appreciate was that, you know, come March, um, we were all gonna be in the middle of a global pandemic. And, um, and, and, and that was that, and so it looked like a, a fairly, it looked like a, a smart move in retrospect because we had a lot more space here than we did in the Bay Area. Um, but but, but I, I'm not sure it was totally the plan. I think by, by a few months in, um, you know, we were just like, it's, it's, it's such a wonderful little community uh, that, that's here. So we live on, you know, again, Bethany's our, our, our neighbor, but we live on a little street that's sort of a strange mix that on one side is, uh, a bunch of you know re relatively nice homes and hedge fund managers and fancy things, but on the other side is school teachers and fire you know firemen and and ski instructors and lifties and you know since since March we've been doing um, you know socially distanced cocktails at the end of the cul-de-sac every every uh, every 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 uh, week and and you know it's it's I think as you once you get past school and then outside of work, it's really hard to make friends. And it's been a really interesting that the little community that's developed here uh, has, has sort of been a tighter group of, of friends than, than, than I expected. And I think a little of that's, you know, it's, it's kind of a bunch of transplants that are all here together. You're actually a serial entrepreneur and you started a company before Cloudflare and you kind of joke that nobody's ever heard of it. Um, but one thing that you've said in the past is you started it with two other men and you said, in retrospect, it's not clear why we needed three guys, all of whom thought the same as we search for our business model. You, you um, co-founded Cloudflare with um, your teammate, Michelle, and you've been really thoughtful about diversity right from that very first moment. Can you, um, can you talk to us about what a difference that's made for, for you and your team at Cloudflare? Yeah, you know, I think, um, so the, the last one I started was a company called Unspam Technologies, which is still around. Um, the, my two co-founders were, uh, you know, two people I'd gone to junior high school with. We'd had lockers next to each other in junior high school and we became, you know, friends as a result. Um, and we were all some version of kind of wonky geeks, sort of um, two of us had gone to law school um, we, we, and we, we sort of understood technology pretty well. And, but, but, but we were kind of all the same. And I was a CEO and I can't remember what the other two guys' titles were. Um, but the, 
the challenge was that no matter like I know a lot of a lot of a lot of folks here come from uh, come from the, the military and 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 sort of the hierarchy that that imposes, uh, and there's 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 such a tradition and such a history of that 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 works. But if you're just three friends and you're like, hey, I'm in charge, and 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 you two are are this other thing, but you all came like you've all had basically the same experience. Um, it's really hard to figure out whose job is what, and. And so, you know, as a result, um, the three of us just fought like crazy, and and it wasn't and it wasn't um, it wasn't very it wasn't very fun uh, for for a long a long time. And we were we were we were largely arguing over you know who was in charge. And whenever we'd have a disagreement, you know, I'd say, well, I'm CEO, and so I'm I'm in charge. But that that turns out like again that that can that can kind of work. When you're in an established organization like the military, that's got that 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 sort of regimented hierarchy in place, but for you know three people where you know the only it's where, where there really isn't that much difference in the skill sets that we had, it became it became really um, it became really difficult. And so you know I have taken a sabbatical from that company uh, to go to business school, and and I was and and I was really reflecting on if I did if I did something next, what would I do and you know, the, the, the real, the biggest value, the two biggest you know, values of, of that first company were, you know, first of all, I realized that starting a company with your friends is a bad idea. Like, I mean, the only thing worse is maybe be starting with your spouse um, or, 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 your, or, or a sibling, like, but, but like that's, that's not the best, the best strategy. Um, you, want, you want some separation. Um, that, was, that was valuable. And then the second thing was, I think I learned a lot about myself and the things that I was good at and things that I wasn't good at. And if you think about, you know, all the things that have to get done in order for a company to, to work, I'm, I'm good at the kind of, you know, dream up the idea and figure out how to market it and, and you know, be, be a little bit the carnival barker. Um, and, and again, that's, a, that's actually an important role. Um, I am not good at remembering to pay rent um, or, turning you know our hiring process into a systematic system or you know scrum or kanban or any you know any of that sort of the process stuff i'm i'm not i'm not i'm not super good at and so while i was in business school you know i was really trying to find somebody who was sort of the yin to my yang or sort of that would be complementary uh and it turned out that there was a there was a woman in school who you know a lot of um I, I can I can joke because you and you and you and uh, you and Michael are both um, are both business students too. But a lot of business students are kind of jerks, um, and 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 really sort of full of themselves. And and it was really interesting. There was this one woman in who was in my my little cohort who was like the person who was you know genuinely trying to find the right answer and would like raise her hand and say, "Hey, I think we should go back to Bob's point because Bob just made a really good point." Bob, what do you think? You know, and you're like wait a second, didn't she get the memo? That's not how you're supposed to do this. But, but she was, you know, again, very, um, just, just really seeking, seeking kind of the right answer and, and was really, you know, disciplined in, in process and, and all the things that I was, that I was bad at. We weren't very good friends. Um, I joked that if she had a birthday party and she'd invited 40 people, I, I wouldn't have gotten an invitation. 50, I probably would have. So I was kind of, I was sort of like her 50th best friend. Um, in business school, which you know is is not is 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 pretty far down the list, 
Um, but, but, but again, I think we had a ton of respect um, for, for each other. And, um, and, and, that, and that partnership has worked really, really well. And, um, and I think we've grown into being you know, incredibly, incredibly good friends. You know, incidentally, it happened that she was also a woman and it happened that she was also Canadian and, 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 and a bunch of other things, but like that wasn't, I don't know that I was, I don't know that I was selecting for that um, necessarily. I think that that has subsequently turned out to be helpful because, because she just has a different perspective. She, 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 you know, grew up in a different part of the world. She, you know, her family was very different than mine. Her, you know, her educational experience is very different than mine. Her, her experiences as a human being was very different than mine. And I think that again, like there's so many different challenges when you're when you're trying to build a business that the more that you're able to have people who can see things from different perspectives who you still respect like you can't have you know you can't have two people who hate each other but if you can be like listen we have kind of a common ground of respect but we but we see the world from different perspectives then then I think that that makes it less likely that you have they have blind spots and you know I think one of the things like there are a lot of um, there are a lot of companies out there uh, that you know, say, oh, we'll only hire from, you know, these five engineering schools, or we'll only, you know, you have to have, you know, this grade point average, or, and we try really hard not to do that, because, because, because we just watched where, you know, there are other companies that have done exactly that, and what inevitably happens is they do really well, they get one product out, and then they hit a wall, because they can't, that, that they're sort of blinded, because every, every one of their engineers took, you know, computer science 250 from, from professor Harding. And, and so that, that, that's, and so they all, they kind of get to the extent of what they all know and they, and they don't learn from each other. We've got people with multiple PhDs sitting next to people who, you know, barely graduated high school and, um, and, and, as a, and, and, you know, and, and you, they're all super smart, but they've taken, you know, they've all taken different paths. And I think that that, that makes it more likely that, um, that that we're able to continue to be innovative and find find creative answers. Um, I want to get more into some of the the co-founder stories that um, that you have and experiences that you you'd have. But before we get there, can we just talk about? what Cloudflare does. So I'm a proud humanities major and Cloudflare is part of the back end of the internet. And I think of what Cloudflare does as um, sort of being the digital version of bouncers protecting like the door of the club, you know, from bad actors. But could you explain to us what um, what Cloudflare does? Yeah, so it just just uh, just for the uh, 25 people who are on the screen, um, how many of you had ever before today heard of Cloudflare? Raise your hand. People are very honest. That's good. Okay, so that's that's fine. You've all um, so you've all used us uh, probably hundreds of times today, and if we do our job right, you don't even you don't even know we exist. So, um, so just starting with kind of wh where we are and what we are uh, about um, about sixteen percent of the entire web uh, uses our network, and what our, when we say our network, what does that mean? We run a, a, a computer network uh, that connects um, you when you're when you're you know going to uh, I don't know the, the Daily Beast or 
or or you know the New York Times or or whatever whatever it is or or ordering you know ordering a car from Uber you know all of those are our Cloudflare customers and as you are trying to interact with them you're passing through our network so uh, I'm sitting in Park City Utah um, near Bethany um, some of you are you know scattered all around the rest of the world we uh, run uh, data centers um, that are all around the world we're in two more than 200 cities. Uh, worldwide, um, you know, the closest one to me right now is in in Salt Lake City, Utah. But we're in, which is a which is which is not not that exotic a place. But we're in, you know, all across all across Africa, all across India, all across China, um, all across uh, Latin America. Basically, you throw a dart at, uh, at a at a map, and and you're more likely than not um, to hit a hit a country that has has a Cloudflare data center in it. Um, when let's say that you're ordering a car from Uber, when you open the app and say, "I need a car." The request will go from wherever you are, your mobile phone, across whoever your mobile phone provider is. We will then pick that request up in whatever the nearest data center is. So in, in my case, in, in Park City, Utah, it will be picked up in a data center in Salt Lake City. Um, and then we'll do a bunch of analysis on that request. And if it turns out you're you know, just trying to um, you know, order something from dinner or order a car to, uh, to, to go take you to the movies or whatever, um, then we'll pass that through back to Uber's uh, own infrastructure, which will be running... Uh, somewhere in the world, and in, in their case, it, it largely runs in, in Ashburn, Virginia, uh, and we'll put it on what is effectively a fast lane across the internet. So from Salt Lake City, Utah, back to Ashburn, Virginia, if you imagine, sort of there's an expressway, um, we put it on that expressway so that, so that the response is as fast as possible. If on the other hand, you're trying to, you know, uh, hack Uber, or you're, you're trying to uh, knock them offline, or you're trying to keep something else, that's when we, as Bethany said, are, are sort of like the bouncer. And so then we would stop that request in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then effectively protect uh, the, um, the, uh, the 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 infrastructure. And so, uh, you know, we've we're we we've got, as I said, about 2,000 employees. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're a publicly listed company, uh, about 10 years old, and um, and 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 growing, growing, growing pretty fast. Um, we, our, our earnings is tomorrow, so I, I have to be cautious about what I what exactly I say. But that's um, there you go. Um, so when I last looked at Cloudflare's market cap, I think it was $27 billion or something like that. And the first thought in my head was, how is Matthew still so normal? <laughs> like, how do you, I mean, you're such a regular guy. You're so approachable, but you and your team have built this incredible company and, you know, lightning in a bottle and how amazing, but it's not like you're rolling around in a limousine or I don't even know. I don't what. know <laughs> My, the car I drive is my, is my mother's. Um, I, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, I, and the ski jacket you wear. We were having a dispute about this. I thought it was thirty years old. You told me it's fifteen years old. Yeah, but I, I mean, well, I'm I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you know, I, it's actually I, I've you know I've been fortunate um, to over the over the last ten years get to meet a lot of of people who who I really look up to and admire. Um, and, 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 you know, Bill Gates is pretty normal too. And, um, Mark Benioff's a little weird, but, but Parker Harris, his co-founder is great and, and super, and, and super normal. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and again, I think that, I think part of, you know, part of what makes sometimes, you know, it's part of what makes, you know, celebrities or, or, or other folks seem somewhat abnormal is, I think that that the world treats them as abnormal, and 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 so you build bubbles around yourself. And so I I feel 
like I, I love that we've created a very valuable company that none of you have ever heard of. Um, and that's, that's almost, that's almost the perfect thing, but it's, but it, you know, but there's, there's, there's spooky stuff too. Um, you know, we, we protected, um, more than half of, uh, the U S states, um, election infrastructure. Um, and you know, this was a, this was a complicated election and, um, and there were a lot of people that on both sides that were, and we had, we had both Donald Trump and, and, uh, and, um, and, and President Biden as as customers, and um, and so you know I, I remember when I had to call you and say hey I apologize but you know the weird the, the weird the two weird guys who are following me around for the next three weeks uh, that are you know former Marines are are security because because you know we've got we've gotten death threats um, and so so it's I don't know I think that you know we I think it's in, it, what's, what's again been really nice about about being here in Park City is it's actually felt like a real a, a community and it's fun to go out skiing with folks and 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 feel pretty and feel pretty normal but I, I think you've got to um, you know we Michelle and I've been incredibly fortunate uh, and and you know 10 years ago we were just two crazy people with an idea on a piece of paper um, it is it is remarkable that that idea and the piece of paper can go from you know worth nothing to, you know, something that's pretty amazing. And, um, and that's, and I think that, I mean, when, when we were, when we started, I, I had to, I mean, I had to borrow money from my mom to pay my rent. Um, and, 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 I, and I'm still borrowing her car. Um, and so, uh, and so it's, <laughs> which is, and so that's, and so that's, you know, that I, it, 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 it's still, it's, you know, sort of try, try to stay as, um, as connected to, to reality as you can. It also turns out that there's just not that much, I don't know, there's, it, it's, it doesn't, it, it, there's, there's, you, once you kind of get your basic needs settled, um, there's not, there's it, like, it's not, it's not that much that else that you, that you need in the world. Um, you know, you, if you, if you, if you're fortunate enough to be able to, you know, afford, afford somewhere to live and afford to put food on the table for yourself and your family, you know, after that, it's, and if you just don't really care about impressing the neighbors, then there's not, there's not all that much that's, that's different. So. Um, I, you know, our family is here for it to keep you guys normal. You know, we rolled in poor Matthew and Tatiana, like just this such a nice couple. And then we roll in with like our four kids and dog and total wild craziness. And you all have been so welcoming to us. And Something I think the about background, you... by the way, in, in, in behind Casey is me over at dinner at, at Bethany's uh, house on their dog that likes to sit in the in the chair. And sit, Sorry, <laughs> so that was great. We have low standards. We have low standards around our, our home, but Matthew and Tatiana put up with us. Um, and one thing that you and I have talked about before and kind of bonded over is you describe yourself as an introvert. Um, but I don't experience you that way. And I describe myself as an introvert and a lot of breakliners don't experience me that way. But something that I think is really neat about you and you've talked about this street a couple of times just in the last half hour, you are really active about building community and building friendships. And so just one little quick anecdote, you recently wrangled three generations of skiers from our street. So we had retirees parents and like little kids and Matthew in this like extremely bright yellow jacket was just taking this whole you know horde of people all over the mountain um 
And so you, you like from the beginning, you have struck me as a really good friend and somebody who tries hard to be a really good friend, you and Tatiana. Um, and so I'm interested, do you do this? Do you think in spite of being shy or because you're shy, does it have nothing to do with that? It's just such an apparent part of your, your, your personality to me. I'm interested in yeah, hearing you know, it. I, like, I mean, I, I, I enjoy, um, so, so I don't enjoy talking about myself. So this is all a little, a little awkward. Um, I, I, I do enjoy, it's been, it's interesting. I had a, I talked to my dad last night um, and, and he, he, his, his theory of me is that I like to create spaces where people come to and, and sort of, and sort of generate that. And so um, like we, our sales team, for instance, wanted to have um, customer dinners and we tried to do one at a restaurant and it was just a disaster because I hid in the corner and, and hated the whole thing. And so I said, I will do these, but we have to do them at my house. And they're like, You're, you'll do it at your house? I'm like, yes, because then it's my house and I can have everyone over. And if I want to hide, I can go hide in the other room and I can, and I can do those things. Um, you know, we, there's, a, there's a conference that we attend every year, um, which again, it's this hyper, hyper, hyper social thing. Uh, and, 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 I, and I had a hard time with it. And so it was, it, you know, but, but we, we created a thing where we did a dinner on one night and then we did a, you know, we, we hosted a big party. And, and that, that again, I think makes it, that makes it much more, uh, you know, natural for me. And so like, I, you know, I, I think I, I am fortunate enough that I can kind of construct, construct an environment where it's, where, where, where it becomes, where it becomes natural, but it is, I, I get, I mean, there, there, you, there will be times where, where you and Michael have us up for, for dinner and Tatiana's happy to, my wife is happy to, um, you know, stay up late and talk and, and, and I will often slink out and, you know, at, at some point and go back and, and, uh, and go read, read at home. So it's, uh, it, you know, again, it just depends um, mm -hmm. on, on what you do, but it's, but again, and, you know, again, I, I think you, I, I think so much of it is just so much of, um, uh, so much of, you've got to kind of just recognize what, what your own, where you're, where you're comfortable and where you're, where you're uncomfortable and, and let yourself, um, you know, and, 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 and I think it's tough. I, I get, I get exhausted. Like if I go to a cocktail party, um, you know, and, and I, and I don't know anyone, I, I, I'm the worst just going up and introducing myself. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I've tried to change that, but I think it's, there's, there's some part of, part of you that just kind of is, is how you are. Mm -hmm. When I, I don't even think, you might not even remember this, but you actually paid me a huge compliment as a fellow introvert because you were you and Tatiana were over for dinner and we were talking about this and you said I can come over here because I still feel like I'm at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it is. It is. It 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 it, it all. Yes. Yes. And I think that's 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 right. And your and your family's been super super welcoming. Uh, and and again, it's fifty feet away. Like if I wanted to run away, it's it's pretty. Easy. So like I I can't stand boats. And everyone's like, oh, do you get seasick? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I get claustrophobic. And they're like, oh, well, what if you're on a big boat? And I'm like, no, no, it's still claustrophobic because like I'm all the entire time calculating, okay, if I needed to, could I jump off and swim back to shore? Um, and so we had a we had some company event that was on a boat at some point. And I was like, this is clearly the point at which I was not involved in deciding what we were doing because because uh, because it, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really pretty, it was, it was, it was uncomfortable. Um, okay. I want to, yeah, my wife loves boats. So, you know, and, and Tatiana loves, loves great conversation. Um, yes. 
So I want to, I've seen a couple questions come in um, around this general issue in chat. So I, I want to kind of um, redirect us a little bit. So in 2017, Cloudflare terminated the account of a hate speech site called Daily Stormer. Um, and this was following incendiary posts in the wake of Charlottesville and false claims that Cloudflare secretly supported their ideology. You blogged about that decision, you made the decision, and then you blogged about it partly to say that you, you um, thought that the decision was dangerous, that it set, it set a dangerous precedent. I'd yeah. love for you to, to walk us through your thought process regarding why companies like Cloudflare should avoid content policing, but also whether there is an outfit or an organization or a body that should be playing this role. And if so, what, what is that? What would that be? I love these public policy questions and issues. And I think it's, they're incredibly hard and they're incredibly thorny. You know, I, I believe the internet's, you know, one of the great inventions of, of human history, if not, if not the great, the greatest. Um, I also believe that, you know, it comes with, with real challenges and real, real dangers. Um, I think that it's also, you know, I, I grew up, my, my dad was, my dad was, my dad did many things, but one of the things he did was a journalist. And, you know, we would, we would talk about the importance of the first amendment and all those things around the dinner table um, growing up. And, and I really, and I do believe that. Um, uh, that said, you know, I've, we've also done business um, in, in other parts of the world. Uh, and, and I, and I look at somewhere like China and um, China's got a really hard problem, which is they've got um, about a billion people who are under the poverty line. They've got about 300 million people that have had more wealth creation than, than they ever thought was possible. And they have to figure out how do they get the billion people to get to the 300 million people without the entire thing blowing up. And they all, you know, most of the leaders there are old enough to remember, or at least have parents who remember the cultural revolution where the leaders were literally, you know, dragged through the streets and beaten and killed. And, um, and that's a, that's a, that's, I, I, I would not trade places with Xi Jinping for, you know, for, for anything. It sounds like a, that's a really, really, really hard job um, that you have. And, and, and so that's, that's tricky. I also have spent a lot of time in Germany um, and in my, you know, more naive days been like, you know, what about the first amendment? And, you know, Germans would look at you and roll their eyes and say, well, we understand that that is your tradition um, and it is born out of your history, uh, but we have a very different history. And so we have a different tradition. And I think you have to, you have to really respect um, that. And so that makes our position of being a massively global country and we literally company and we literally, I mean, we have infrastructure running in over hundred countries around the world. We have customers in literally every country on earth. Um, and, and then we have our, our customers, customers, you know, it's, it, it literally is, is, you know, we, we see something like 4 billion people pass through a network every, every month. So, um, so we, we touch, we touch just about, about everything you can imagine. Um, we're also, again, not the vast majority of you didn't raise your hand when I said, had you heard of Cloudflare? And so we're this sort of invisible force somewhere deep, deep in the internet, uh, that is, um, that is, you know, acting as a bouncer and putting people on fast lanes. Um, but, but it's sort of, if we all of a sudden just made parts of the internet disappear, um, which we could, uh, it, it feels like, it doesn't feel like there's any real relationship that we have with the general public. And so again, 16% of the web uses Cloudflare. We add about 1% a quarter 
So in three years, we'll be up to, assuming that trend continues and it's accelerating, we'll be up to about 25% of the web. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's a lot that sits behind us. And, and that means that there's a lot of amazing things. And, you know, whenever something incredible gets launched, um, you know, chances are it uses us. It also means there's a whole bunch of horrible things because there's a whole bunch of horrible things on the web. And so that, that uses, that uses us as well. And we've known about this for quite some time. I think the first time it really um, kind of raised its head was back in 2011. Um, there was a hacker group that was known as, as Lowell Security. And they had hacked, um, they'd hacked Sony before, before the North Koreans had, they'd hacked PBS uh, and, and they signed up for our service. And, and again, we made the service so e there's a free version of our service and they'd sign up for the free version and it's super easy. They don't have to talk to a salesperson. They just, they just started using it. And all of a sudden we got started getting, you know, calls from reporters, like, how dare you have, you know, this hacker group that's using you. And, and it was a real debate at the time, like, do we want to do this or not? And I think what we kept coming back to was, you know, if we're super successful in the, in the long term, um, you know, we want to, we want to be a big part of running, running the internet. And um, that, you know, when it was eight of us above a nail salon in Palo Alto, California was a little bit of hubris. Um, but today when, you know, so much of the internet relies on us, uh, you know, it's that those questions of what would the right policy be if Cloudflare ran the entire internet actually was a really good way of, of framing things. And, and so, you know, we, and so we, we our, our response to the, the hacker group was we called the FBI and we said, what do you want us to do? And they're like, nothing, don't worry about it. And we thought, well, they're better experts on this than we are. And so we, and so we didn't worry about it. And over the years, you know, horrible things would use us um, from time to time. And then in 2017, um, there was a, a, a group uh, called the Daily Stormer, which was, you know, they, they portrayed themselves as, as Nazis. Um, I think the really the more accurate thing to describe them, um, ha having learned more about them, is that they were really just internet trolls. They were, they were just horrible people who were trying to push other people's um, buttons. And they were you know, really effective at it. And it was right after Charlottesville. And they, um, the, there was a woman who had been killed um, in, the, in Charlottesville, uh, uh, the, the, the protest that had happened there. And there was a, a, a white supremacist uh, sympathizer who had who'd run over a woman in, in, uh, in his car. And they, they basically wrote this just really disgusting um, screed on how, how she deserved to be run over by a car. Um, which is, I mean, just absolutely abhorrent in, in every possible way. And, you know, they, like, again, we don't host that content. That's not us, but it, it would pass through our network. So we're sort of like the AT&T that's out there. And for a while, um, we said, listen, it, it's creepy if the phone company is listening in on your, you know, weird uncle's phone calls and says, hey, you said something racist, so we're going to pull your, you know, your phone privileges. Um, and, and so it didn't feel like it was the right thing um, for us to do as well. But you could see both um, a little bit in the U.S., although the U.S., um, because, of, because of the First Amendment and other things, is, is unlikely to be the place where the real fulcrum of these discussions happens. It's really in Europe, where all of a sudden um, there, was, there was a lot of policymaking uh, that was being done to say, um, you know, that... 
uh, the tech companies should be responsible for the content. And the focus was sort of the Facebook and Twitters and, and everything that we've, that we've seen play out over the course of the last few months. Um, but, uh, but we were really worried that we were gonna get swept up uh, into it. Meanwhile, uh, one of our largest customers who was spending over a million dollars a year with us said basically you fire them or that you fire us. And, um, and again, we're a business. So, so that was the case. And, we, and, and so we had, we had both this regulatory threat and then we had this customer threat and the question was, how was it? How do we how do we deal with it? Um, because we didn't really think that it was the right place for us to be. We're not we're not the ones promoting content. We're not the ones organizing content. We're not a search engine. We're not a social network. We're 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 one step above kind of an under, undersea cable, and yet people were trying to put pressure on us to to um, to to censor certain things that were online, and. And so we made a determination. It was actually, you know, we we portrayed it as a very rash act, um, but it was but it was actually more more well thought through than that. We sort of knew that we were going to have to do something at some point, and we and what we did was we 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 kicked them off. And there is no there is nothing that feels better than firing a bunch of Nazi trolls from your network. Like that's that was that was that was a, that was that was fun. Um, but then we wrote about why, you know, we, we wrote sort of a public policy sort of primer on how the internet works and who all the different players are and why it's dangerous if you sort of start to put right, sort of, um, uh, if you start to put discretion at every different step along, along the way. And, um, and it was pretty amazing. We then spent the next year meeting with government leaders, think tanks, you know, people on every side of the issue, uh, everyone from the Southern Poverty Law Center to, you know, the Heritage Foundation to uh, the Cato Group to, you know, uh, to the U European, um, you know, hate crimes folk, and, and just met with everyone and just talked it through. And what emerged out of that was that largely the regulation that has come through has said, listen, Facebook and Twitter and those folks should should control what's on their platform, but folks that are the underlying infrastructure providers should largely stay out of it. And I think that from a public policy perspective, that's the right answer. Um, and I think that certainly from a business perspective, that has turned out to be the right the right answer for us. So you know, it's it's a bit of you know, Immanuel Kant would roll over in his grave. We were definitely using the the neo Nazis as as a as a means to an end, uh, but we sort of we sort of fired them, and and as a result of that, we we um, I, I think we were better able to frame the arguments because we've been trying to talk about this stuff for a long time. But it was until we kind of broke the the principle and then showed why that was dangerous that it that it, that it did anything. What's been somewhat surreal um, over the last um, over the last you know few months, ever since the uh, you know, just horrific events that happened in the Capitol and and, um, and 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 Facebook and and Twitter and and Amazon and others um, sort of waking up to the ch these challenges um, has been that you know literally our talking points are what. You know, Apple is using and Amazon is using and everything else, and we we just got to stay quiet and sort of disappear in the background, 
and um, and 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 that was again very you know very strategic and it worked and it worked pretty well. So so I, you know I I am pretty sure we should not be the first line of defense on on what what's good and bad on on online. I, I think that you know we're, we're happy to comply with laws and. There is content that that we um, you know block in Germany because the German government asks us to do it or orders us to do that. Uh, that is accessible in other parts of the world, um, and, and 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 that's that works pretty well. Um, and I think that the standards are are pretty different. If if what I worry about with you know if if there's a set of tech companies that are making these decisions, um, I worry that we're all going to fall really quickly to the lowest common denominator um, because. Because it, it really does turn out that it's different. But there's just different standards, and and there's not something that you can universally agree on on a global basis. And so, uh, you know, wherever it is in the world that sort of sets what that global standard is 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 gonna is gonna be there. The, the the interesting analogy is that you know this is not a new problem for tech. Um, this has been a, a problem for tech throughout history. This was a problem when the printing press came out. Uh, for a long time, that the the one that I think is the most interesting is is actually um, you know in, in the in the 1930s there was a new technology that came out which was television, and um, it's because of because of physics and and regulatory and, and the way radio waves work and things there are basically only three TV stations um, in 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 basically anywhere you went in the world there could only be uh, essentially three TV stations and in the U S that was NBC ABC and CBS and um, and they were making so much money uh, that they, like they didn't they weren't even really competing with each other. They 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 had created this new technology and it was just so incredibly valuable that the only thing that was a real risk to them was government regulation. And so they tried to figure out what do we do about that? How do we you know figure it out? And it's interesting that um, it was actually the television networks that proposed equal time laws, um, which were saying. We're going to give both sort of the the liberals and the conservatives equal time on TV. Um, they they all three networks would cover you know both the Democrat and the Republican convention. Like there's no worse TV than both all three TV stations from the same feed covering the same thing exactly the same way. And yet they, what they were doing was they were trying to say we are so radically neutral that um, that you can that don't don't regulate us um, and. And you know that kind of worked, and and there's a part of me that so I'm 46. You know I remember fondly watching Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings and feeling like you remember when the news seemed kind of civilized. Um, but what's interesting is the consequence of that was there weren't a lot of black faces on TV. There there weren't a lot of women. Um, all of the anchors. I mean it's. Something like eighty percent of the acres came from Kansas, which is bizarre, right? But but it was the sort of part of the part of the world that that seemed like it didn't have an accent, so it was it was it was totally neutral. Um, there certainly weren't a lot of, of people of other sort of sexual orientations that were exposed, and as and as a result, there were a lot of things that didn't get covered. And so, you know, that's the consequence. It it felt more civilized, um, but it was kind of. It, it was not particularly representative. And, and now we've gone to the other extreme where everyone's got a channel and everyone's got a voice and the gatekeepers are completely removed and, um, and it looks like chaos. And, and there's, there's real danger to that. But you know, where, where on that pendulum you know, do we wanna be? 
Um, and, and I think that's going to be that's going to be a question for us for the for for you know some time to some time to come. Mm -hmm. And I want to dovetail with your response here. I'm going to combine two questions from um, Stuart Jones and Drew Bouchard. Um, what are your thoughts on how cybersecurity will evolve over the next five years? And how is Cloudflare keeping pace or staying in front of the increasing complexity of cyber attacks? So, so, I, so my, my somewhat controversial um, take is that there will be no standalone cybersecurity companies in, in certainly 10 years. Um, five years is probably a little optimistic, but, but certainly 10. I think cybersecurity just becomes table stakes. And it gets built into the underlying platforms. And you know, if you're if you're using Salesforce or using AWS or using Cloudflare, like cybersecurity just comes comes along with it. Um, you know, the the analogy that I would I would draw is, you know, my last company was an anti-spam company, and I remember in mid two thousands when Bill Gates came out and said, you know, spam will be a solved problem in five years, and we all laughed at him. Like, no, it won't. Don't you know how hard this is? It's super complex. You know, you're fighting against this adversary. And what he saw that, that we frankly didn't was that, that um, like the hard part of machine learning problems isn't the algorithm. The hard part is the data. And once you have the data, then you can actually, you can actually respond super quickly. And so what he saw was you know, they were going to build cloud email services. It was going to collect everyone's email. And if you saw all the good email and all the bad email, and you got enough people clicking on this is spam, you could very quickly train what are effectively, you know, really powerful filters that would outperform humans. Um, and, and it worked. And today, you know, spam is largely a solved, a solved problem. Um, I think the same thing is happening in cybersecurity as well. And, and good, good for us, hard if you're, you're trying to start a cybersecurity company today. Um, it's just a data problem. And the fact that we see you know, I mean, in any given second, we see something like 50 million requests pass through our network. Um, and we classify them, you know, based on what we know, but we also then get feedback from our 25 million plus customers. Um, and and that that's that's what allows us to just keep um, getting smarter and smarter over time. And I, and I think the, the people that are able to see that data, so Cloudflare, um, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, I think those end up being the effectively the giant cybersecurity companies of the, of the future. But you won't you won't think of them that way. You'll just think about, oh, I plug into Cloudflare. It's a great network, and then I don't have to worry about all of these other problems that I used to have to worry about. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to pivot um, a little bit to a question from Keith Pickering, and I think this is this is so interesting to me because you're a great example of a thesis at Breakline, which is that excellence is transferable, and you've got this really wide range of interests. So you, I think, double majored or at least did a lot of coursework in both um, the humanities and in computer science. You got your JD, you got your MBA, um, and you've taught law, but you were also a ski bum or a ski instructor, a, ski you know, still, a very- I literally five minutes before I got on this, I was on, I was skiing. So I- I told I, them you, that you and Tatiana were out there. Um, and, and you have talked about part, teaming up with Michelle and on a podcast, you said that Michelle was actually really worried about the fact that she didn't have a technical background. 
And you said to her, you'll be an expert in six months. Um, so Keith's question is, could you talk about someone on your team that's very effective, but they didn't come from a technical background? What makes them successful in such a technical company? I wonder if Michelle is that person or there might be you know, another example that you wanna pull from. I mean, there are tons of, again, 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 you want, you want, um, you want as many different perspectives as you can, as you can get. So Michelle, I mean, Michelle, Michelle had studied, um, Michelle had studied to be a doctor. So she was pre-med. Uh, she thought she was going to be a doctor before, um, before she went to, she, I think she'd gotten into medical school. She deferred admission because she decided like, I, you know, I'd just love to go figure out, maybe I want to do this investment banking thing instead. Which, which was a, the, both, both, both tough jobs actually. Um, and, uh, and so she went and worked in finance for, for a couple of years and then decided, yeah, I don't really want to be a doctor. Um, and so instead, you know, she started, a, she started an events company that, and then she started, a, a, she was like the first employee at a, at a company that was doing employee rewards, sort of employee uh, motivation stuff. Uh, and then, and then she became a product manager, um, you know, at, at a consumer electronics um, firm, Canadian, it was actually, she was at uh, Toshiba Canada, basically customizing how to make, how to sell TVs into, in the Canadian market. Um, and so like she'd been, she'd, she'd come from a bunch of different things. I think that what really characterized her um, is she's just a relentlessly curious person, um, but she was super nervous because she really didn't, like she didn't know what BGP was and she didn't know what DNS was and she didn't know how internet routing worked and, and all those things. And I, and, and she had offers to go work at, you know, what were much more traditional um, kind of paths and safer paths. Um, but I think that, you know, as we started working on this, um, she was just, she was super curious. So she took, you know, she took some like code academy course to learn how to code a, li a little bit, but not like she never wrote a line of code for Cloudflare, but she at least wanted to feel like she could relate to the people who were. Um, and, and I think that that was, that was, that was the, that was the case. We, if, if there are only two characteristics that we can, that we, that we get to hire on, you know, we take, we take curiosity and empathy over experience, IQ, um, you know, education, it, you name it, like I'll, I'll take curiosity and empathy over anything else. If you can find people who, you know, are curious, want to learn new things, want to take on new challenges, never say that's not my job, like jump into all those things. And then you can find people who also, you know, are, are empathetic. So good listeners, willing to question their own assumptions, willing to change their mind if it turns out their assumptions are, are not correct, able to see that they have a perspective, but other people have different perspectives as well. Um, like they can learn anything. And then the other thing is that's great about them is they can also teach anyone anything. Um, and, and if you can find people who are great learners and great, great teachers and you put them together, not only are they fun to be around, but they, you know, they, they sort of creates this flywheel, which is, which is self, self-reinforcing. And so I think that's the case. Like we're, like we've had, we've hired, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we've hired people who, who we've hired people you know, straight out of high school um, who are just technical geniuses. We've also hired people who, you know, have literature PhDs and, and, and it, you have to do all these things uh, in order, in order to make it work. 
I was, so no one should follow my path. I mean, it, it worked out in the end, but, but in the meantime, you know, along the way it was, it was quite circuitous. You know, I, I was pretty good at computers going into college. Um, and thought I would say computer science. I got so bored in computer science classes that I, and, and I was also just, I was just arrogant. So I, um, you know, I refused to take, I had taken calculus in, in high school and the, in my college was like, in order to get a major in computer science, you have to take, you have to take calculus again. And I was like, I don't want to, it's, it's my senior year of college. I don't want to do calculus homework every night. And so I, and so I, I ended up getting a minor in, in, um, in, 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 excuse me, in computer science, um, and then, but majored in English literature. I had offers to go work at companies like, I really, I honestly didn't think we're going anywhere, like Yahoo, Microsoft, and Netscape um, back in 1996. Uh, and, uh, and, and turned them all down because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life sitting in front of a computer writing code. And, uh, and thought, I know what I'll do. You know, my, my uncle was a lawyer and my, my grandfather was a lawyer and they seemed like they were, hey, were pretty happy, happy folks. Um, and, uh, and so I, and I was pretty good at standardized tests. So I took the LSAT and um, ended up going to, uh, and ended up going to law school, getting into, a, getting into the University of Chicago for law school. I, I got I deferred for a year and, and, and moved back to Park City and was a ski bum for a year. Um, and then, uh, and then went to law school. And within, I mean, within a semester, I was like, I have made a terrible mistake. Um, because what I realized was that, you know, my, my, my grandfather and my uncle were, were happy as lawyers, but it was really because they had been real estate developers, not really lawyers. Um, and, and what lawyers do is they spend all their time sitting in front of a computer writing code, but without the, the benefits of a debugger or a compiler. And, um, and so, and so, but I was too stubborn to drop out. So I, uh, so I, I graduated and, and then I went to work. It was, I, I thought I was going to go be a securities lawyer, um, which was kind of fun because it took technology and combined it with law and it was kind of fun. Was, and I was going to be in San Francisco and we we're going to take companies public. And, you know, I figured someday I'd kind of go work in house at one of them and that'd be kind of fun. And, um, and then it was, it was, I was, I was graduating in, in 2000, in March of 2000, the first internet bubble burst. And uh, the law firm I was supposed to go work at called me and said, good news, bad news, good news, you still have a job. Bad news, we don't need any more securities lawyers, but we have lots of room in the bankruptcy practice. And it's basically the same thing, which is, I can actually see how they say that, but it's really not. And, um, and so, and I really didn't want to be a bankruptcy lawyer. Um, and so I, uh, and so I took a job uh, at a startup. It was a B2B startup. I was the first employee we were doing, um, we, were, we were selling um, group health insurance online. Uh, and, and we raised $6 million and burned through that in about 18 months. And, and it blew up and crashed and died. And, uh, and, and then I, and, and, and then the problem was, you know, I, I'd had that experience of starting from something from scratch, which is just, you know, the, one of the most powerful and addictive drugs you can have. And so it was really hard for me to go back to work for anyone. And so I, really wandered in the wilderness and my parents were calling me every day being like Matthew when are you going to go actually you know get a real job and and I I had little odd jobs around the side I taught LSAT prep and and I and I was an adjunct professor at a, at a, at a very bad law school that is so bad that it doesn't even exist anymore um and uh and and, and sort of kind of just barely did enough to you know still be able to eat and pay rent and kind of keep my parents off my back, uh, and then and then and then and then 
gathered my two friends together and we started we started the the unspam company which was a disaster i mean it was like we there, there was there was a a substantial period of time where the three of us just didn't speak to each other and we fought like crazy and and the business was never never particularly successful um and my and my dad who had a had a family business um he he had had um he'd started a bunch of restaurants and not good restaurants like he had the he had the um like Applebee's and Famous Dave's Barbecue. He had the only Hooters in Utah, which was, and and he was like, come run the family restaurants. And I couldn't imagine any any fate worse than running my dad's Hooters. And so I, I was trying to figure out how can I do something else and how can I keep my keep my parents off my back? And um, and on a lark, I mean, I applied, I applied to eight different business schools um, right right the night before the deadline was due, um, got got rejected from seven of them and somehow got into Harvard. And uh, and that's where I met Michelle and that's where 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 it went. So like this wasn't the plan. Um, and, and I and I don't and and there's very little of that that you should that you should that you should replicate in your own lives. And it was and the, you know my my late 20s and 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 early 30s were really hard. Uh, and and but 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 I do think that um, you know one of the ancillary benefits was I got I got to learn a bunch of things in a, from a bunch of different directions, um, and I and I got to meet some really incredible people who you know whether it's Michelle who uh, is is my is my business partner or um, you know Alex who's runs uh, who, who I went to law school with and runs our. Uh, uh, business development team, or, or Doug, who's our, our general counsel, or Alyssa, who runs our public policy team. Those are all people that you kind of meet meet along the way. And so, you know, to the extent that you can you can find ways to put yourself in those environments, that can be that can be super helpful for you. And and that's um, but but it was a uh, it was definitely a circuitous path. All right, Matthew. I know we're at time. I have one lightning round before we close, and this is from okay. Carlos Plazas. He says, hi, Matthew, if you had only one last day on your skis, powder conditions being equal, what mountain would that be on? Oh, I mean, I, so I live on the side of Park City. I can, we can, I can ski out of my backyard, which, and, and, and I grew up skiing here. So I, so, so, um, so this, this, this definitely feels like home here. So this is, this is where I, this is where I would uh, be. I will say that I, uh, I used to be a very, very good skier, um, I, I'm now become a, a, a pretty good skier on groom conditions, but I, I fell for the first time in five years in 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 two two and a half feet of powder earlier this year, and actually really kind of hurt myself. So so I, I'll I'll wait for kind of the like the bluebird day after the groomers have been out for a, a little while, so uh, to to be there. But um, but it's fun and and uh, and, and hopefully Bethany, you're you're back on your feet. Um, before too long. I'm I'm on the mend and it's been such a treat to have you Matthew. Thank you so much. Tatiana, thank, thank you. you for coming too. Love having both of you with us. Thanks everybody for being here.